Man, I had really just been, I've been studying this passage. Uh, God gave me the outline. I, um, I'm ready to roll. I'm, uh, but you know me, I, I'm not the sharpest marble in the box, so I've got to have kind of an illustration. How many of y'all need an illustration to remember? You know, but not just an illustration, but something that really represents what the whole point of the message is. So later, if you're just kind of, uh, you know, thinking about stuff and you remember that illustration, you'll also be able to remember the main point. And I needed that. I beg God for that all the time because that's how I'm going to remember. And, and so, man, about halfway down Indian River Drive, I'm just like, God, all right, I'm just going to get up there and I'm just going to just start speaking. And I'm just going to, you know, and and I just started going through the message again, the point, the main thing. And God gave me this really cool illustration. I hope I didn't just build it up too much, but you just got to understand how excited I was. And I want you to know that for how many of y'all prayed for me this morning? Good. Yeah. So for you, it'll probably be a good message. No, I'm just messing with that. <laughs> y'all want better messages? Pray for your pastor. All right. I'm just saying. But man, thank you for praying because man, I just, I just felt like as God showed me this, that there were people praying and, um, and, and I, it's awesome when you get something from God, isn't it? And, and, and I got the word, I've got the message, but man, this is kind of like life a lot of times. How many of y'all would like to see me jump to that chair right there? Raise your hand if you like to see me jump. You two, you guys just want to see me fall and hurt myself, don't you? Um, but, but so often, and it's amazing how many times this idea has even come up today in light of where we're at in, in, in the book of Acts. And uh, everybody's wanting to know, what is the will for my life? Roger, I keep thinking... Man, how many of y'all ever been in a Bible study with Roger? And inevitably it was going to come up. I'm saved and I love Jesus and I want to serve him, but I don't know how. <laughs> and and it, it was like, here's Roger. He's saved. I got it. It's, it's over there somewhere. I, if I can, mm, I just don't know. And I'm going to try. And so often, people, what is my next move? And we view that that next move is over there. We view the will of God in our life so often as a destination, as something that we're going to chase. And once we get there, yes, I finally have gotten to experience God's will in my life. When in reality, as we've talked about many times, it's not a destination. And this is what we do. Now, there are times where God says, jump. Anybody ever had God say jump? And you're like, God, I can't jump that far. Anybody there? Yeah, and, and you jump anyways, and miraculously you end up where he wants you. Or you fall flat on your face because, like Peter, you started out with him, and then you decide you're going to do it in the flesh. And then you're like, oh, I'm not jumping again, you know? But often, sometimes he wants us to jump. And we've got those cool stories where, man, this all happened. But in reality, from the time we're born again to the time he brings us home, you know where the will of God is in your life? It's the very next step. It's the very next step. How hard was that? I'm right here and I'm like, oh God, show me that chair that's a mile away so I can swan dive and do a triple gainer backwards with a half twist and land on it and give you the glory. You'll get the glory. And, and, and God says, well, I just put this person in your, play, in, in your, in your path right here. I, I just put, hey, uh, there's no accident. You just like rear-ended that person at the red light. <laughs> or who was the one? Did any one of you guys take down that pedestrian sign? Praise God, I hope not. No, but, you know, there, there's no accident that you're behind that person in Walmart. Or for those of you afraid to shop in Walmart the one at Target, 
You know, no accident. The person at the mall, no accident. Every encounter, God has been just blowing me away with this all week long. Not only giving me new illustrations for it, but also reminding me of how true it is that every single encounter we have is a divine encounter. And so instead of like, all right, here it goes. I'm going to go. Instead, he puts somebody right in our path, right here. And we're like, okay, God. Now, the only way we're going to take this next step for God is if God is our priority. You understand that? Because when we're over here, I'm not saying God's not our priority, but we want to have, we want to kind of get all the way to the end. Here's where our priority is supposed to be. God is number one. And he says if we love God with everything we have, he's going to then cause us to love who? Others. To love others. And then in loving God and him allowing us and giving us opportunities to love others, is there any love that comes back from us? You know what happens as he gives us the ability to love others? What happens is we realize how much he loves us, and then we love him that much more. But it's when we turn it upside down that it's like, I need to be loved. I need to know this love. And, and we turn it about ourselves where what we view now is instead of this next step, this person he's put in our life, we view it as, oh, do I really have to talk? God, I don't have time for this. God, I'm focusing on you and doing what you want. And, and we start viewing opportunities as obstacles. We start viewing people as problems. Somebody in our way. And so if we're walking with God, and then we have, are more apt to see that this is a divine encounter, that this person is there. As Seth and Charlotte are walking their dog over the bridge, and their dog goes absolutely nuts when people honk the horn and wave at them. When you're walking with God, it's a divine encounter. Praise God. For this, because people know who we are, and they know we represent the gospel. We're a lighthouse, you know. But when it's all about me, it's like, stop walking the horn. You're messing with my dog. And I'm just picking on you guys. I've heard that, but every one of us. So seriously, when we are viewing life from God's perspective, and we are loving him, he's putting in our heart to love others. And so every single thing that comes into our life, we can see it's by his design. It's his will for our life. His will isn't way out there. His will for us is this next move, whatever he puts in front of us at that time. And guess what? I'm there. Guess what now? He moves me to the next one. All right, but if I never get off this chair because I'm waiting for that, I may recognize that, but that's still a pretty far jump. Oh, wait, wait, wait. This person, I don't want to deal with them. Oh, I just touched them. Oh, man. I don't want to deal with them. Wait, wait, wait. And I'm not as agile as I was 10 years ago, am I? But, oh, I made it. <laughs> but wouldn't it have been such much simpler to just do that? Every single thing that comes in our life is by God's design. If we'll see it from his perspective, then we will be moving in his will. We, every single situation, and it's not always to necessarily just help them. How many of y'all have jumped in and God has used them to help you? Yes. How many of y'all has been mutual? It usually is. But yet here we are, man. No, I got, I got to go. I got to go. I got, I got to get all the way over there. What is God's will for my life? God's will for your life is this next move. The person that's in front of you, the person that's behind you, the person that's around you. God's will for your life is, is right here. And guess what? If I start taking each step that God wants me to take in my life. And again, I'm not saying that these steps are easy. The only way I can take these steps is by faith, you know, and by the grace he gives me through faith to believe that this isn't some giant marshmallow chair. 
Somebody who's very creative didn't just make this out of construction paper and I put my foot on and it's going to go down. I have to trust that this next step is of God. But I can trust that by staying in, staying, keeping my life uh, in view of God's perspective. And so as I do this, guess where I'm going to end up, Carl? Where am I going to end up? And by the way, I'm just going to say this is when we go to heaven. So why are you in such a hurry to get over here? I'm, I mean, heaven's going to be awesome. But, you know, here it is. This is his will for our lives. It's a walk. It's not a jump. Sometimes it is. But man, the end, the goal, the destination is one day we're going to be with him. And that's a good thing. We're going to be with him for how long? Forever. And it's going to be perfect. But what he's got in store for us now is simply this. And every single thing, every encounter in our life is a divine encounter. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through um, this next passage in the book of Acts. So here we are. All right. So you're up here. Uh, how, how many of y'all are up here? You're born again. You, you've given your life to Christ. You know you're his. All right. Good, good, good. You're here. Okay. And when you know what God wants you to do. Okay. So what does God want you to do? Does God want you to jump? Maybe. But more often than not, all he wants you to do is take the next step. He's going to show you. I like how Zane brought that up, man, that um, something I look at a lot of times is God's will for my life right now is by what he provides. You know, I go in the cupboard to cook dinner. All right. And, you know, and I go look and see what pasta I have, rice or whatever. I go in the, the, the freezer and look at what meat I have. OK, so I've got some pork steaks. I've got some lima beans and I've got some pasta and I'm going to put all that together with some jerk seasoning. And that sounds good, right? All right, well, maybe not to y'all, but it, dude, there it is, man. I, I got that. But what if I go in there and I'm like, I ain't cooking until I get steak. <laughs> I ain't cooking until I got steak, baked potatoes, butter, sour cream, all that. Else. You know, again, you can sit there and wait on the stuff to come and miss what's right in front of you. Or you can start taking advantage of what's right in front of you because I think God determines his will so often in our life by what's in front of us. Now, what's in front of us is against his word. That is not his will, all right? So it's got to go in, in, in line with that. So when you know what God wants you to do, and what God wants you to do is just take the next step. Whoever he puts in your path, whatever situation he puts, we've got to see that from his perspective. That's the next step, okay? And, 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 and I got a feeling that if you don't take the next step, you're going to have a real hard time getting all the way over there. So whatever step he puts in front of you. So when you know what God wants you to do, everybody read this for me. Hurry up and wait. How many of y'all know that's the story around here? All right, hurry up and wait. Hurry up and get there and wait. Well, what I mean by hurry up and wait is this. When you know what God wants you to do, okay, so here I am, and uh, I, I got to hurry up. So what do, if I know the next step is to go right there, what do I hurry up and do? Do I hurry up and run? Is this what I'm talking about? Whoa, no, because I don't know all of this yet, okay? If he tells, uh, when I know what to do, I know only to take this next one. And when do I take the next step? When God tells me. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to assume that God wants me to go all the way around here. How many of y'all are smart enough to assume or have found out you are not? <laughs> Isn't that what we do? Okay, God, you got my momentum going and there's a lot of momentum here. Let's get. And that's where we mess up. Hurry up and wait. You know what we hurry up to? We hurry up to the next step. And then what do we do? We wait. And we wait until he tells us what the next step is. How many of y'all have a hard time waiting? Yeah. Well, I think it's safe to say God wants me to go here. Yeah, he might. This might be the path. But timing is everything with God. 
Look what happened to Moses when he tried to do his will, God's, or God's will his way, when he left the, the palace. And he slew some Egyptians, beating up some Hebrews. How'd that work out? He had to go run and hide for 40 more years. It's important to do God's will, God's way, which not only includes doing it, but doing it in his strength, his power, his perspective, and his, and his timing, all of that. So hurry up and wait. You need to hurry up and do whatever step he's told you to do. Because here's what happens, all right? Okay, God says, go to the next step. And you're like, okay, cool. I know to go to the next step. I can go to the next step anytime, can't I? Can I not go to the next step anytime? Adam, can I not go to the next step anytime? All right, so I got that one down. All right, but I'm going to wait for God to tell me the next step. Anybody ever do that? I'm going to wait for him to give me all these steps in a row, and then I've got the whole treasure map lined out, and now I can go. Well, you know, there's some called opportunities. How many of y'all know opportunities have timing? You know what? This step may disappear. It may be like one of those games where it just sinks, and now you don't have that. The bottom line is when God says do something, you do it. Boom. Bam. Now, I don't go any further until he shows me what to do. I'll give you a classic example. I've been leading short-term mission trips for almost 30 years now. It's hard to believe. And I can't tell you how many times. Man, all I got to do is start talking about the things God's doing on these trips. And by the way, right now, God is doing something phenomenal in Haiti that I can't wait. After this week, I'll be able to tell you guys and, uh, of what's getting ready to happen there. It's a culmination of a lot of stuff that is now getting ready to just explode. And it's really a really cool thing. But if I start talking about Haiti, I'd have some people, man, I want to go to Haiti. Man, I'd love to go here on that trip. I'd love to go to Haiti. And, and, and I'm like, well, <coughs> go get your passport. That's the next step. Go get your passport, okay, and, and, and go get your shots. You can do that now. All right? And in fact, even just save your money. Because passport's 100 bucks. Shots could be up to 400 bucks, maybe more like 200 whatever you decide you want to catch or not catch. So, you know, so, or have the possibility of catching, you know. Um, and, and so, so, you know, okay, passport, shots, whatever. So I'm going to stand here until I have the money, until, until I see everything, until I see the trip. Here's the trip over here. So when that trip starts happening, now I'm going to jump into action. I'm now going to get the passport. Now I'm going to get the shots. Now I'm gonna, and guess what? What happens in the team? All of a sudden, everybody's scrambling to get everything done, and you're not prepared. In other words, if you know the next step, man, boom. Look at the book of Nehemiah. Do you remember how Nehemiah opened up? The, the Jews had gotten the permission from the Persian king to go back and build a, a temple. And they went and started building a foundation, and they built a temple, but they had no protection, no wall. So there was no progress in their praise there because they were always fighting the enemy instead of making progress. And God had put in Nehemiah's heart that he was going to be the guy to go back and build a wall. Because one day he, one day he heard from you know, his brothers and sisters talking about how Jerusalem couldn't make progress because there was no protection. And he said, God, please, I want to do that, God. God gave him that desire. The only problem is he worked for the cupbearer as the king. Now, the king trusted him so much that if the king thought somebody was trying to poison the king... The king had a guy named Cupbearer who would drink everything first and say, oh, yeah, I didn't die here. Or he'd eat stuff, oh, yeah, I didn't die here. You know, since Nehemiah knew where he was going when he died, it really didn't matter. He got good food, all right? And so Nehemiah, he was the Cupbearer for the king, but anything he did to make things negative for the king, even a bad attitude, if he had sulked around, oh, man, most of the time the king would have just got rid of him, got a new Cupbearer. So Nehemiah's got a burden inside to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but he didn't have the opportunity. In other words, he's sitting here with a cushy job anybody would have wanted in that time, and God wanted him to go over here, but it, he couldn't yet. 
That didn't mean he didn't do anything. Because you know what he did? He prepared. He prepared a plan. He had everything for one day. He couldn't hold it in. And the king said, Nehemiah, what's wrong? And Nehemiah said, man, how can I be joyful when my brothers and sisters are living in spoil over there? God, I really feel I'm supposed to go build a wall. The king said, how long? Nehemiah said, oh, wait, you're interested? Let me go calculate all of this. He said, how long is it going to take you? Nehemiah whips out his pocket scroll, his plans, blueprints there. And he said, oh, yeah, it's going to take this long. And what are you going to need, Nehemiah? I mean, this opportunity might have only been there for that time. Oh, I'm going to need 52 two-by-fours, 38 telephone poles. I'm going to need whatever. He had a list. He had prepared this whole thing. Why if he would have never taken the opportunity to prepare? When, when the king asks, he's like, okay, king, wait. Give me two weeks and I'll put it all together. Or however long it took him to put it together. What if he'd have waited? He might have missed that opportunity. So he had time now to prepare. God said, so God said, prepare, Nehemiah. I'm going to do it. I'm going to open the door for you to do it at some point, but prepare now. So Nehemiah took the next step. He hurried up and prepared. And isn't there any, is there anything worse than hurrying up and then, Wait. what's word? Wait. Yeah, how many of y'all have been running late for a doctor's appointment? And you're flying to get to the doctor's appointment, so don't give the doctor's appointment away so they don't ostracize you in front of everybody. They open the window, well, you were supposed to be here 20 minutes ago. We almost gave it. I mean, have y'all been there? And then you do what? For hours, right? <laughs> it's infuriating to be hurry up and wait sometimes. And so here it is. Nehemiah, dude, he's waiting and waiting for the opportunity when the king said, what do you need, Nehemiah? How long will you be gone? What do you want to do? He whipped out the whole plan and said, here. And guess what now happened? Boom, goes to the forest. Hey, I got a picture, a letter from the king says, I have this. Oh, I need this. Oh, I need this. And, and at some point, halfway through, there were some problems. And they had to wait some more. But the point is, is that if you know your next step, even if that doesn't even seem like it's going to be possible, take the next step. Hurry up and then wait for what? Wait for God to tell you to take the next step. And before you know it, at some point, you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, look what God did. How many of y'all got some look what God did stories? But in the midst of it, you're just like, oh, Jack and uh, Jack, Destiny, man, I remember when y'all were trying to buy a house, man. Now it's just like, oh, we got a house, we got garden. We got... You remember when you were trying to buy a house? Hurry up and wait. And finally, God just opened the doors. And now you can look back. I hope you guys sit there at night and say, God, thank you for what you've done. Yeah, we look back and see the wake of his faithfulness. So hurry up and wait. Check this out. In uh, uh, Acts 16, all right, so uh, uh, Paul, you remember, we talked last week about God saying no, no, yes, and I'm saying yes to what I want to bless. Because Paul and them, they started to go west. They wanted to go to uh, Asia. And then God said no. They started going north a little bit, and God said no. So they turned down and went southwest, and God said yeah. And stay there. So here they were. They're staying. They're staying in, in, at the port in Troas, where they're at. And so they got there, and God says, just wait. <laughs> okay, I'll wait. So here it is. Now, he said, so we decided. This is the last verse we looked at last week. So we, and who's we now? We have the missionary team of Paul and Silas. And, and, and who else was with Paul and Silas? Who was the young child? The, Timothy. Yeah. Paul says, hey, hey, Tim's mom, you know, we've been trying. They tried to kill us last time. But can your little boy go with us on this next trip? Oh, absolutely. If this is what God wants. 
And then not only was there, but now this us is including who wrote the book? Luke. Luke is on this team. Man, so we got Luke, Timothy, Paul, and Silas. What a mission team that God put together. God put it together. You remember when it all started? Who was it? It was Paul and Barnabas had the idea. And then there was a split. But they listened to God in spite of their fight. And now they're moving on. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once. How, why did they decide to leave for Macedonia? Look at the next verse. Having what? That who? God. That's why you make your next move. Having concluded that God. That's it. Don't make a move. Stay on that chair. Trust God to do something so supernatural that only he can get blamed. But if you conclude that it's God and it's not God because you're violating his principles, you just stepped off of this. You're down here trying to trudge around on your own. You ever watch the Princess Bride? How many of y'all like Princess Bride? What was the name of the forest that they go through? Come on. You remember the forest they had to go through with the big beasts and swamp? That's what it's like getting outside of God's will in this world. Fire-breathing dragons and, and sludge pits. It seems good until you step off that log. And then all of a sudden it's there when God wants you walking up here and you know whatever you're going through is there by his design. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once. Hurry up at once. They didn't like, you know, pack their bag. They didn't like figure everything out. They didn't say, all right, we think we're going to go this way here. They've already done that at once. We're just taking, we're supposed to go to Macedonia. Let's go to Macedonia. Having concluded, and that's looking at all of the things that are their circumstances around. That's what that concluded means. It doesn't mean just like just blindly going. It means they've checked out everything that's around them and, and, and they believe God wants them to go to Macedonia. He said, we having concluded that God was calling us to do what? Preach. To preach. Okay, so that's what they were supposed to do, to preach the good news there. It's all covered. So we, uh, so here it is. God wants us to go to Haiti. I need to get shots. I need, and I'm not drumming up business for Haiti, I promise. I'm not doing that. I don't want you there unless God wants you there. All right. So it's not that. I'm just using the illustration. God wants you to go to Haiti. I need a passport. I need shots. I need to, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, okay, I'll just wait. No. They boarded the boat to go at Troas, and they sailed straight across to the island of, hey, my Greek lady's back here. Uh, Mia, how do you say that? Uh, uh, Samathras? Would you say? Does that sound kind of Greek to you, Samathras? Just say yes, all right? <laughs> Aphrodite, will you say that S word up there? Be careful, that S word up there. Samathras. Okay, we're just going to go with Samathras. So what Samathras was, from Troas, they were going kind of southwest through the Aegean Sea, and there was an island about halfway. So Samathras was a, a rocky, mountainous island where they could stop so they didn't have to sail at night. And they could take a break. And they made it there in one day. And then from there, they took off sailing, and they next landed at Neapolis. And it only took two days. Now, on the return trip, it's going to take five days. So I want to make a point here. Sometimes people say, well, when God's in it, it just works out smoothly. And other times people say, when God's in it, you're going to be in for the fight of your life because there's a devil. Which one's right? Both are right. Whatever God chooses. You've got to continue taking each step, seeing it from God's perspective in his time. And it could be really easy or it could be really hard. How many of you all know that? Would you agree with me? Say amen. amen. Yeah. There's no, it, it could be either way, whichever way, and God's got a purpose in that. 
They, when it says they sailed straight through, that meant they had a tailwind, man. Everything was like a king of the world, you know, <laughs> on top of the, there they are, like Bob and uh, what about Bob, you know, when he was all strapped to the mast with the life preserve. That's what he was like. Yeah, dude, they're just going. Sailed straight there. Boom, boom. Two days they're there. It seems like God's favor was there, but God's favor is just as much there when it took them five days to get back the other day. We'll get into that in the next couple of weeks. It says from there, dude, we reach Philippi. Now, how many of y'all, if you had your car broke down and you had to walk 10 miles, how many of y'all would include that in your details of the story? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. My car broke down, I had to walk all the way back to Fort Pierce, you know. Uh, Philippi was 10 miles from where they landed there on the coastline. But I want you to understand, in the book of Acts, they did a lot of walking. These guys, like, I don't think they had diabetes, man. I'm just saying, I don't think, I don't think they, 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 did, they were in great shape. So from there we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So they walked, after sailing two days, they walked 10 miles and they were stoked because, all right, let's sail here, let's sail here, all right, here we are, okay? And so we stayed there. How long did they stay there? Yeah, how long is several days? I'll define several days as this. Several days is at least a day or so longer than they thought they would. <laughs> if you describe something as several days, would that not be longer than what you anticipated? You know, they're gone for several days, you know, or not the perfect time, but several days. So I can imagine they've hurried up. They finally got the mind of the Lord. I mean, they've been listening all along, and, they're, and there they are in Philippi where God led them, and it's like, yes, and it's like se several days. What do we do now, God? Do it. What do you want me to do now, God? Do it. What do you want me to do now, God? Do it. So whatever it is God wants you to do, that's what you do. And do you know that sometimes God wants you to sit and do nothing? That sounds so unproductive in our culture, doesn't it? Anybody ever been put in a position where they can do absolutely nothing but just sit or lay flat on your back? How many of you ladies ever been put on bed rest in pregnancy? You know, I mean, you might like it, but I don't, I don't think you did. But I'm just saying, I, I, get, I get to talk to people all the time as a pastor where they cannot do what they're used to doing. Flat on their back. You know what you can do now? You can pray. Man, I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I'm so, Man, what benefit is there in God's economy for that? You know, there's things you can do that most people can't do. So, again, what do you want me to do now? God, do it. And there's benefits to staying still. How many of y'all cannot stay still like me? That's the only reason I'm up here. God only gave me these chairs so I can walk around while I'm preaching and focus on what I'm supposed to, all right? But hopefully there's an illustration for you. I can't sit still. One of the hardest things to do is lay there and just think and hang out. Because we've created a society. I mean, Seth... What were you telling me? Isn't there a statistic about how many times we're bombarded by our phone compared to the pilgrims or something? No, seriously, he's got, if there's anybody with that statistic, it's Seth, all right? So tell, can you tell me what that is? So Jonathan Edwards uh, used to walk in the forest by himself. Here, you can stand up and preach like Zane did earlier. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards, who lived a couple hundred years before we do, without all the distractions that we have, he used to get away from everything and walk through the forest so that he wouldn't be distracted. And I read one place where uh, you know, we, we have 10,000 times the distraction in a single hour that they would have had in, you know, in, in, in their time. And yet we don't take that same time to, to get away and get away from our phones, from our computers, from you know, whatever else it is that, that, that we're dealing with. Uh, 
So I mean, that's that just it shows the importance of of, of being with the Lord, of, of having that time uh, with just Him and not the rest of the world. Yeah. Amen. You know, here, here's here. This would have been us walking ten miles to, uh, <laughs> right? But these guys were praying. They had a lot of alone time. I don't think they talked with each other the whole ten miles. They had a lot of alone time, and we have a hard time with doing nothing, don't we? But sometimes that's spiritual, a nap, hanging out. It is productive to do nothing sometimes if that's what God wants you to do. So there we reach Philippi, a major city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. Um, I don't really have time to go into a lot of that, but it was, it was a Roman, uh, kind of like, let's say, Puerto Rico, for lack of a better thing. And what they would do is take Roman people, uh, Puerto Rico is to America kind of, sort of, but they would take Roman people, maybe retired military people who are loyal to Rome, and they would give them great incentives to go live there. So it would have a dominant Roman influence, but it would be kind of under Roman rule, but they, had, they could do their own thing. A lot of times the incentive was no taxes and things like that. So it was very Roman, but it was very independent. It was almost just kind of like its own thing. And so there they were in this Roman colony, and he said, we stayed there several days. So the well, first point is I want is to what? When you know what God wants you to do, what do we do? Hurry up and hurry up and get to the place where God wants you because you don't know how limited that time frame is, how short of an opportunity. Hurry up and do the next thing, but wait. Don't do anything else until he tells us. Then... When you know what God wants you to do, hurry up and wait. And uh, I didn't realize I was up there. Realize every encounter is a divine encounter. Now, Paul and them, originally they wanted to go to Asia, right? right. Where Tyatira and Pergamus and all those seven churches from the book of Revelation are. And God said, no, go this way. No, go this way. No, go his way. And, and obviously Paul, being trained by Gamaliel, he would go and, and have an entrance to be able to teach and preach in any one of the synagogues and then present Christ so they're expecting all of this to happen this way. But look what happens. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting. So on the Sabbath day, which what, what day is the Sabbath day? Saturday. Yeah, don't get that wrong. When people miss church on Sunday, don't say they miss the Sabbath. All right. And we can go into that a whole, all, again also. But on Saturday, Sabbath day, okay, they went out a, look at the, a little way outside the city to a riverbank. Well, why did they go out there on the Sabbath? Where did they normally go on the Sabbath? To the synagogue. Because, and anywhere there were 10 Jewish men, family men, that were active in, the, in Judaism, anywhere that was happened, they would have a synagogue. You had to have at least 10. And that was no problem in most of these major cities. But understand where God has them now is so far out, away from Jerusalem. These are the first missionaries to Europe. Hey, how many of y'all are of European descent? Anybody here of European descent? Dude, chances are, <laughs> I'm just saying... This is where the gospel started in Europe. And there was no synagogue. In fact, was there no synagogue? I would have taken that as like, well, there ain't no church, so let's just go until we find a church. I really wouldn't have done that. But there's a tendency. So look what happened. They go out to the riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. Because if there wasn't a synagogue, there would be people meeting out there for prayer. And surely there's, you know, the men. Because Pharisees, how did Pharisees view women? And they were head of the religion. What? Oh, one more. Yeah. In fact, Pharisees said they would rather, they would thank God they were not a woman. They were not a, anybody know? Yeah, they're not a Gentile. What else? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, yeah. So here we brought, we thought people would be meeting for prayer and we sat down to speak with some what? Who 
would have ever thought, man. God, we have followed. We had great plans. We had all this. And now we got to Philippi. There's nobody there. You want us to go out by the riverbank. And all there is a bunch of women right here just hanging out. Not even, we don't have a synagogue. What do you do with that? What do you do with that if it doesn't mesh with your plans? What do you do with that? Yeah, if you had other plans and you had other thoughts, what if it's about you? But if it's about God and God called you love God and God caused you to love people, you see every encounter as a divine encounter. Dude, there's some women here. What would God want us to do with these women here? And so we sat down there to speak with some women who had gathered there. So let's speak. Let's talk. And what do you think Paul and them talked about? The gospel. Yeah, they started a religious conversation, talked about the gospel. One of them was Lydia from where? So, Tyre. So think of the irony of this, okay? They wanted to go to Asia, which is where Tyre was, and they didn't go, okay? So what does God do? He takes them all the way around through all of this, and they meet someone from where? Asia, Tyre. Yeah, and they were supposed to, uh, they were called by a Macedonian what? Man, a Macedonian man. And who's the first person they met was a woman. I mean, there's a lot of irony in all of this. And, and so, but isn't that the way God works? So that you can say, wow, look at this irony. Look at the spirit of God, how he led us. This is hilarious. Look at this, what he does. And one of them was Lydia. Okay, and her name probably might not have been Lydia, but she was, Tyre was in the region of Lydia. And it was a place where they, I don't want to say they milked mollusks, but there was a, uh, uh, a, a type of shell, a murex, that it had a gland inside or a, a, an organ inside they could get purple from. And there was also a plant that they could squish and get purple from. And that happened to be her business. She was a merchant of expensive purple cloth since only the royalty could wear this, all right? And, but what was the last thing about her? Who did what? She worshiped God. Now, was she a Christian? No. She was a, 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 a Gentile proselyte who realized that our Gentile gods are not worth worshiping. There's got to be more. And the closest thing she could come to was the Jewish God, Jehovah. And, and so she hadn't heard the gospel yet, but she was a Jewish worshiper. She worshiped God. But Paul had a way to take this next message to her. That now, man, everything that was in the Old Testament, all right, in the Old Testament... Here's the law. Here's everything. And Jesus is light behind it. When, when you have light, Kate, when you have light behind something, what do you have on the other side? A shadow, right? You've got a shadow. But Christ walked through it all, fulfilled the law. And Christ now, we don't have just the shadow. We have the light. And so she was worshiping the shadow. And now she gets to worship the light because Paul's going to introduce that to her. As she listened to us, listen to this. So what did she have to do? She had to listen. Yeah, she had to listen. She wasn't argumentative. So she listened. Who gave her the desire, Rob, to listen to something about God? God gave her that desire. There's nothing in us that desires God. God gave her that desire, and, and she took advantage of it, and she listened. And then what did it say? The what? The Lord did what? So it wasn't something where all of a sudden she listened, she put it all together because she's a smart businesswoman, put it together and said, oh, here it is. And she figured it out on her own. Is that how we get saved? No. no. We desire us and we are selfish and we, we want to be the main thing. And God has to give us the desire and ability 
to desire him. And that's what he did here, gave her the desire to listen, and then he opened her heart up to be able to accept it. And so she accepted what Paul was saying. You know what happened? She got saved. <laughs> did, did that ever happen to you? Did you have a desire now to listen to something that at one point in your life was foolishness? And then you listened, and, and all of a sudden, this foolishness now started making sense to you. And you had to make a choice with grace that he gave you to be able to accept it. And you did. How many of y'all did that happen to? You I, I identify with that. That's what happened to her in the gospel. God's still doing that awesome miracle right now. It is the most awesome miracle that is going on right now is somebody spiritually dead becoming spiritually alive. And he's still doing it. And guess who he wants to use as a middleman in this? Who does he want? Raise your hand if you know who he wants to use as a middleman. Yeah, that's you, Tom. That's you, Charlotte. Every one of us. She accepted what Paul was saying. Now, did Paul have, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Got old preacher named Adrian Rogers. Maybe y'all hear Adrian Rogers back in the day. He said this. He said, anything I can talk you into, the devil can talk you out of. It's got to be the Holy Spirit of God that's doing it. All we are is the mouthpiece. We're the witness. We're living it where they want to hear it. Right, Zane? And then we share it, and the Holy Spirit takes it and fertilizes it and grows it. And then he spreads it. Oh, I got to tell you this quote I heard. Man, this is hilarious. You know what it said? Uh, <laughs> the Christians are like manure. Anybody ever heard this one before? If you read Crazy Love, you've heard it. But Christians are like manure. You spread Christians out, and it becomes fertilizer. Things grow. But you put them all in a big pile, what happens? They stink. <laughs> they ferment. They get all in. Yeah. And we're supposed to be spread out. Zane wasn't ordained to do stuff in this church. He was ordained to do it outside the church. Seth wasn't ordained to do it in this church. I wasn't ordained to do it in there. And we'll figure out who's doing it. But we're ordained to go out. All of us are ordained to go out in a sense. We're all supposed to go out and represent. So remember, manure, when y'all start gathering all together, and there ain't nothing wrong gathering together, but it's staying there. When y'all stay there and y'all don't go out and spread out, man, that's the way it's supposed to work. So she accepted what was going to happen. So check this out. When you know what to do, what God wants you to do, hurry up and wait. Realize every encounter is a divine encounter. I'm almost done here. Last point. Realize every divine encounter Listen to this. Every divine encounter is a small part of an enormous divine plan. And by the way, I learned how to spell divine. How many of y'all got my text this week and, and I had divine in it? All right, how many of you did not love me enough to tell me I had some green stuck in my tooth? I spelled divine wrong. How many of y'all didn't love me enough to do that? I didn't hear anything from anybody. This morning, Seth loved me enough to say, look, my mom, who's a... Uh, teacher, grammatical. No, she didn't. he didn't do it because that. He said, "Hey, divine is D-I-V-I-N-E." I'm kind of southern, so I thought it was divine, <laughs> and it was D-E-V-I-N-E. I gotta tell you, I, I looked up D-E-V-I-N-E because I'm like sometimes words can go both ways. When I looked up D-E-V-I-N-E on Google, you know what the definition of it was? The most common misspelling of D-I-V-I-N-E. <laughs> I was like, I promise, go look it up. So we got it right right here, right? And thank you for always being faithful and telling me I got something green between my teeth, man. And for the rest of you that didn't tell me on Wednesday when I sent it out, shame on you. No, I'm just messing with you. Always feel free to correct. All right. So check this out. When you know what God wants you to do, hurry up and wait, realizing that every encounter is a divine encounter. But also realize 
that every divine encounter is a small part, but it's your part of an enormous divine plan that God has. So look what happens in this next verse. It's the last verse we're looking at, I think. It says, and after she was baptized, okay, so they only baptized people once they gave their life to Christ because here's baptism. By the way, if you want to be baptized or you know anybody wants to be baptized Sunday morning, uh, any Sunday morning, but especially on um, Easter Sunday at sunrise, we, we do that. But here's the thing. When you get out in the water, that looks like a what? It looks like a cross, okay? And when I take you under the water, that represents Jesus' death and burial. When I lift you back up again, because you are neither a fish nor an amphibian, um, and we're Christian, it represents Jesus' resurrection. Okay, but for us personally, it represents that I am now telling the world I died to my old life where I'm the boss. And now I'm rising to live a new life where Christ is the boss, and I'm going to live it through his power. And that's what baptism is. And so if you get baptized, you know, and that's not true of your life, you're a liar. And I don't want to make you a liar. <laughs> this is what's got to be true of your life. And that's why we do baptism. And if that's true of your life and you want to have an outward symbol of it, I'd love nothing more than any day to baptize you. Especially sunrise service would be an awesome time. So after she was baptized, she gave her life to Jesus, surrendered everything she knew about herself to everything she knew about him at that time. Now, did she know everything about him that she would know? No, but everything she knew about him at that point, she surrendered and she got born again, born from above. God made something spiritually dead, spiritually alive. And she then made a public proclamation, which could hurt her business. And in fact, we learn later in the book of Revelation that Tyre did hurt your business to live for Christ. And she didn't care because now she had a new life and knew the purpose of what it was, that everything was a divine encounter. So she got baptized. And who else got baptized? Her household. Her household as well. Now, this didn't happen because I, Lydia, am now saved and I'm baptized. So all of you are getting baptized with me and you're all saved. Are, are there any spiritual grandchildren, Seth? No. No, man. You've got to get saved on your own. But isn't it amazing when somebody gets born again and they're obedient, how they have such a good gift they can't wait to share with other people. It's not until we kind of get all lukewarm and carnalized and stuff that we're afraid to share that. That's why we got to be walking with him, man. Walk with him. Relive. We never outlive the gospel. We get saved by the gospel. We're sanctified by that gospel. And that power of the gospel is alive in us today. And we need to be offering, not out of guilt, but because, dude, we know there's no other way. After she was baptized, she couldn't wait to tell her family. They, they uh, got baptized. And look what it says after that. Her whole household as well. Now, she must have had a big house because she was a wealthy person here. It says, she urged us. Okay, so whatever she's getting ready to do, she's urging them. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. I like how she did this. I'm going to have to remember this one. Well, if you think I'm a real Christian, then let me do this. <laughs> All right. She urged him, said, if you find me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and what? Stay. Man, where was Paul and Silas? And I mean, you know, Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy, did they have like, you know, frequent flyer miles or bonus points at Hilton? And did they have reservations made? Where did they, where were they going to stay? They didn't care. They knew God would provide, and if not, they would camp. It's no big deal. They weren't as into themselves as we might be and the luxury, and they were pretty good at camping. But, dude, check this out. Now they've got a central headquarters. It, when God first said, 
Okay, guys, I want you to go to Philippi. Okay, but before we go to Philippi, where are we going to stay? My wife needs to know. No, I'm just joking, right? Uh, where are we going to stay? What are we going to do? How long are we going to be there? What's, is that what they did? No, you hurry up. God said, go to Philippi, hurry up and wait for the next instructions. Little did they know they were going to lead a woman to the Lord that would bare minimum provide a place for them to stay and be the central headquarters for the Philippian church. Paul, what did Paul think later when he wrote the book of Philippians? How did he even start the book? What did he think about the Philippian church? Anybody? What did he say, Seth? Didn't he say, man, he said, you're looking to read it, but he said, some, here's the Eddie paraphrase. He said, man, I thank God every time I think of you folks. That's how much he loved that church. And here's the beginning of it. But it started by him hurrying up and waiting for God's next move. Realizing every, well, there ain't no men here. There ain't no synagogue. We got to go somewhere there's synagogue. Got to do all the preconceived things that we have, paradigms. They said, well, there's some women. Let's talk to them. Little they know that was going to be the initial plant from the Philippian church. And we're going to see some big things come from all of this. So, again, we're done. Oh, no, didn't mean to push that button. Um, when you know what God wants you to do, what do you do? What's the first thing we do? Hurry we hurry up and wait. And when we hurry up and wait, we realize that every encounter is a... And when we realize every divine, we need to realize every divine encounter is a what? Yeah. That person he's got in front of you, behind you, in the parking lot at Cumberland Farms. You got no idea if God's telling you to talk to that person. Is God telling you to love that person? God's telling you, dude, you got no idea. All the great men and women of God, how did they come to Christ? It, yeah, was it like they were here and all of a sudden God said, oh, I need that dude. <laughs> and it's like, I don't need anybody. Boom! And then, no. D.L. Moody had a Sunday school teacher chase him all the way into the back storeroom. He was running because he knew he had to give his life to Christ. He ran back there and the Sunday school teacher chased him all the way back in the storeroom and tapped him and led him to Christ. You can look at chains of people who have done that. Every great man or woman of God has been led to Christ by somebody else. And it wasn't necessarily under the best of circumstances. So realize every encounter is a divine encounter, but every divine encounter is a small part of an enormous plan that God has. And this is what I want to leave you guys with right here is this. And realize what a what? It is that you get to participate. Do you understand God doesn't need you? That's a humbling thought, isn't it? He doesn't need me. He doesn't need us. He can accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish without us. Now, he's chosen to accomplish this through us. But if you don't share the gospel with that person, again, you miss the blessing. Is that person not going to get saved now and die and go to hell? I don't think so, according to Scripture. I think what's going to happen is God's going to put somebody else in their path, and they're going to get the blessing of being a part of what God's going to do in their lives. How many of y'all have ever led someone to Christ? You shared the gospel and you know it was not, you didn't talk somebody into it. And all of a sudden, I mean, they're just like, boom, where do I sign off? You've seen somebody get saved, right? How, how many of you ever done that? Yeah. Ellie, it was the worst thing in your life, wasn't it? No, it's the best. Yeah. How many of you ever had the privilege of, sh of helping somebody see life from God's perspective? You're just walking down the street and there's this person you feel led to talk to them and you pray with them. And, and 
how'd that feel, Val? Yeah, after you were done, it was like, wow, God just used me. I got, to, I got to use the one who I love more than anything and the one who loves me more than anything. It's an awesome thing, but it comes from loving God. And you know you're loving God when you love others more than you love yourself. And you really don't love yourself when you love yourself first. You've got to love God first. And you only learn to love yourself through loving others. And then the real love manifests itself in your life. It's got to come from God first. But what a privilege it is to have, to be able to serve, to be in the plans of the one who keeps the planets from crashing. Dude, you're just worrying about the noises your stomach's making right now for lunch and hoping nobody next to you hears it, right? Anybody there? No. <laughs> man, if, if all of a sudden somebody came up from upstairs, Terry came and he said, I just got an alert on my phone, man. There's a planet getting ready to hit us in an hour. Would anything else matter? No, but it's not happening because he's taking care of it. The one who can take care of it is the one who's called us to do what he's called us to do. And that's help others see life from his perspective. But we can't do that unless we see life from God's perspective. One more time, if you came into this, and again, I address individual situation, whatever, but if you came into this and you really want to know what the next move is, I want to tell you it's probably not jumping all the way over there. That's, that's what the world's taught us. That's what colleges taught us. That's what uh, uh, the system, the world system is a lie. And that's the lie. And, 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 and it may be, there just may be a chance it's that, but more often than not, your next move is your next encounter. Just go for it. And just help them see life from God's perspective. And then the next move. And the next move. You take the moves. Hurry up and wait for God to do the next move. And then before you know it, you are here and you didn't have to jump all the way across there. God's got a better plan. And if he does want you jumping, he'll teach you how to fly. But he didn't give me that gift today. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for uh, letting us see the real book of Acts. We romanticize the book of Acts and so often want to, as Paul even said, and I think it's in Philippians, we want... To, to identify and experience the power of the resurrection, but we don't want anything to do with the fellowship of your suffering when they go hand in hand. But Father, um, I pray that we would uh, just basically implement this outline in our lives today, that we would seek what you want us to do. We would, when we know what you want us to do, even if it just seems like one small little encounter, one small little step, Father, we would just take that one step and trust you for the rest. of it. That's what it means to follow. Father, we would hurry up and then we would wait for the next step. We would hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait each time you give us direction. But we would never forget that each encounter is a divine encounter. And that each divine encounter is a small part of a humongous plan, God, that we can't even comprehend, but we are privileged to be a part of. Father, I pray if the next step for someone today is just simply surrendering their life to Christ, I pray, Father, they would do that. Father, if, if, if it's someone who's already surrendered their life to Christ, but just really kind of thinking about the big jump, I pray, Father, you'd get us all thinking about just little steps. What do you want me to do now, God? Do it. What do you want me to do now, God? Do it. I pray instead of trying to eat that Whopper in one bite, we would just eat it one bite at a time because that's the way you seem to be serving it up. 
So help us, Father, to be faithful, which means full of faith in you, that we can trust each thing that you tell us to do. And with confidence and trust in you, we can take the next step. Understanding and believing that as we take each step you want us to take, we'll end up where you want us to end up. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.